Greetings, Amigops, and Top Tenners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I am joined this week, as I am every week, by our lovely co-host Kyle. Kyle and I will be discussing a topic this week. I know what the general topic is, but I don't know exactly the angle we will be attacking that topic from. This is a little bit of a theme. We kind of like doing this. This is this is a fun way of doing things. So we're going to talk about this topic for somewhere around an hour. We're going to debate it vigorously. And then by the end of this episode, we will have a definitive top 10 list of that thing. So Kyle, what are we talking about this evening? Okay, Michael, thank you for that fantastic introduction. Yes, you vaguely know what the topic is because we talked about this uh, a couple times over the last couple of days. So a little bit of behind the curtain stuff for the folks at home. Usually when I sit down to edit one of these podcasts and and slice splice together uh, Mike's audio with my own, I'll usually, if there's baseball on, I'll just put a baseball game on in the background. And if there's not, I'll usually put on a movie, something I can find on like Netflix that I've seen a thousand times that I can mute and just kind of have on in the background to kind of distract me. I just want to say same. Okay, good, good, good. So usually it's it's like, you know, I'll get distracted every now and again as I'm watching Avengers or something, but I can be fairly productive. But this time I was, I started at a podcast and I throw on national treasure, the 2004 <laughs> Nick cage uh, vehicle. And I, the, ter- the, the term you're looking for is masterpiece masterpiece. And I throw my headphones on, I start editing and it's literally like three minutes into the movie. I'm like, what? What happens here? I don't remember exactly what happened. And I take my headphones off to kind of catch the the dialogue. I unmute the TV. And for the next two hours and ten minutes, I was enraptured by National Treasure. Podcast be damned. And I just, I watched the whole thing. And it turns out, and I I knew this, but I love National Treasure and I still love it. Do you feel the same way about the film? I feel the same way. So my, my journey, I'll give you... How about this? I'll tell you the first time I watched it and the last time I watched it. Because this oh. has got to be up up there on like the rankings of movies I've seen the most times. Mm. Weirdly, I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall might have the, the honors. But the first time I watched National Treasure, Pup-Up and I were going to Pennsylvania. And I don't know why, but of, like the rest of our family was there already or something. So Pop and I were going to commute together. It's probably 2006, maybe. So it's like a year and a half, two years after the movie's come out. I didn't see it in theaters. And I guess he's he's thinking, like, how the hell am I going to entertain this kid for six hours? So we go to Radio Shack. We buy a portable DVD player, but not one of the cool ones where yeah. like the disc was in the... It was like just this this craptastic portable DVD player. Sure. And we bought that National Treasure DVD and I watched it on the ride and fell madly in love with it. So that was the first time I watched it. Last time I watched it, I was back at uh, our college. I was doing some recruiting. This was probably I don't, four, maybe four or five months ago. I don't, I don't know how long ago, but recently. And I was in the hotel room alone, and I was like, you know what? I gotta watch something, right? I'm, I'm like, I'm a man. I'm, I'm a man about town. I'm alone in a hotel, <laughs> so I throw on National Treasure and. <clears throat> Still as good as I remembered. It's it's so okay. Some some context. I looked at I looked it up. 
So its meta yeah. score is thirty nine, which is yes, not puke, not putrid, but poor. Yep. It's Rotten right. Tomatoes is not great, right? Forty six percent from the critics. I bet you the fan score is high, right? It's like seventy six. Yeah, that's it's like one of those movies, right? So. This movie, 2004, it's a Disney film. I think the, the rights to this movie were actually acquired by Disney late in the process, and it was actually cleaned mm-hmm. up a little bit. Yep. So it stars Nicolas Cage. He has top billing. He's the only one on the, the movie poster with billing. But yeah. also has Diane Kruger. An all-time love of mine. Like, oh. all-time, all-time crush. I don't usually really have a thing for blondes but i'm extremely attracted to her and I, it yeah. started i realized it started with this movie yeah she was I, I, it all started uh here but then helen of troy uh Ooh. she was she was helen oh my goodness fitting she launched a thousand somethings oh yeah oh yeah justin bartha who i haven't seen in anything yep. since he's riley yeah and hangover he was in the hangover oh that's right that's right yep. sean bean as the villain yes. Ian how this is my first sean beaning i think probably no 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 i'm sorry it well, was lord, lord of the rings, rings but this outside of lord of the rings john voight as benjamin yep. franklin gates dad of course christopher Plummer as benjamin franklin gates grandfather yep one scene yeah one scene but it's a golden one and then yeah. fucking harvey keitel is ancient sadusky the fbi agent so this is yeah. not a slump cast like it's 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 loaded no, it's it's interesting. You and I love to discuss this, and I don't particularly have anything to add to this this kind of framework. But like, you and I like to talk about what was the pitch or kind of what happened in the meeting. I think it's pretty clear on this one. They just said we've got a we've got a good fun script that kids are gonna like, adults are gonna like, and we've got a good kind of gimmick. It's like you know American history, and we've got a crazy cast. The question I have is how the hell did they get this cast? Because all these people... So with the exception of, of Diane Kruger and, and Justin Bartha, who are kind of, you know, before their peak, I guess, most of these are slightly past their peak, but they're not so past their peak that they cost nothing or were just sitting on a couch waiting for a call. So it's it's interesting to me that they were able to get all of those people. I agree. I think the pitch was probably... Because this is 2004, The Da Vinci Code came out in 2006. I think the pitch was, we have Da Vinci Code, but it's American history and a little bit less controversial. Who's in? Yeah. And everyone was like, okay, that seems like a pretty easy layup. But it's not, but it's not, it's not based on a book or anything, right? No. Which is really surprising. Yeah, it is a little surprising, but I think. I think someone had read the Da Vinci Code and was like, huh, <laughs> I could do this. <laughs> it's the same. It's basically the same thing um, with yeah. American history, but it doesn't detract from my enjoyment of it. And it got to theaters first. So, yes. So now I hear what you're thinking. How are we going to uh, do a top 10 on this, Kyle? Well, what I did was I, I thought about it and... This is Nick Cage prior to him kind of going off the deep end, but certainly past his peak. Yeah. It's kind He's of... He's like in the process of buying a bunch of dinosaurs right. at this point. He hasn't bought so many that he has no money left. He's like buying them. It's safe to say his dinosaur collection has begun and at the yes. timing of this film. But it's such a Nick Cage-centric movie that I thought it, that should play into our list here. And so what I've done is... It's not the top 10. I haven't ranked them in 
in order of quality, but it's the telling of National Treasure via 10 Nick Cage quotes in the movie. Okay. So are they the most Nick Cage quotes? Like, it's it's the most Nick Cagey quote? I tried to pick quotes that were both Nick Cagey and also instrumental to plot development. And I... <laughs> I... We're, I'm somewhere between lauding this movie's writing and ridiculing it. And I think most of these quotes have a healthy dose of genius and idiocy. I'm a, a, like they're, yes. they're, they're all simultaneously both. And I don't know how much of it was intentional to like ham it up because it was going to be Cage, but it seems like some of them were. Yeah, I want to offer an observation that I felt really deeply when I was watching this recently. It's that I think... When when screenwriters are getting together with producers and and they're either working on the rewriting process or, or they're storyboarding like when when the creatives and the money people get together on a genre script, they say we have to hit certain like story beats or certain quotes. So my example is when you watch when you watch the Dark Knight trilogy I think that those scripts, whatever you want to say about those movies, obviously you and I, our feelings are well known among the fans of this podcast, but I think that those are extremely smartly written, at least when compared to other superhero films. I think that's probably fair to say. But like once in each of those movies, there's a quote that clearly was added by the producers to make it an action movie. So the first one, it's like, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And the second and then he one kills a guy. Yeah. The second one there's the part where he drops into the the party the Joker has got Rachel and he says like, "Oh, a little fighting. I like that." And then he's like, "Then you're going to love me." <laughs> and then and then in the last one like Bane is says like, you know, wherever he says uh, you know, where you'll be, he's like, "I'll be right there." Me stopping you. And it's like just this bad sort of genre-y quote that's in the middle of a script that's pretty intelligently written. That's my long way of saying that's how I felt watching this movie recently, is I could feel the sort of creaking and groaning of like an actual smart, pretty well-written script with quotes that I think a producer slash money person just dropped in. So that's my feeling. When I watched this movie, I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty well-written movie. Oh, that didn't fit. And I think that that's what you were feeling. Yeah. So there will be a couple of those uh, strewn about through here. But we'll get going because some of these are, are longer. And I'm going <laughs> to like they're sequential. So I'm going to explain the context in with the, which they come. Okay. Let her rip. So the, the movie starts with the legend being passed to young Benjamin Franklin Gates. And then immediately smash cut to Nick Cage in like a huge parka. And by the way, they were way ahead on the Canada Goose Jackets. Wait, did Wait. we talk about this? I don't know if we did, but they're all Because that was them. one of my biggest, that was one of my biggest observations watches. Like, wait, Canada Goose existed in 2004? They're all where, this is, I think this is how Canada Goose got on the scene. They were like, let's push all of our marketing chips been. into National Treasure. They'll all be wearing them. And then everyone everywhere will be wearing them. It worked. It worked. Hey, it worked. It worked. Yep. So they're, they're looking for this, this boat, the Charlotte. Uh, the secret lies with Charlotte. That's the first clue. Of course. We put it in our notebook. That's Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues. So, anyways, they get into the ship. They find it. 
they find this uh this pipe and then it's mm-hmm. clear that there's an inscription on the handle of the pipe that y- they're gonna run in ink and then roll over some paper so in- instead mm-hmm. of like finding something to like some kind of ink he immediately just whips out this knife and stabs himself in the thumb and then rubs his fucking blood all over this pipe and then rolls it out over his notebook and then he he reads the inscription the legend writ the stain affected <laughs> the key in silence undetected 55 an iron pen mr matlack can't offend and then he pauses and he goes it's a riddle <laughs> and they're, all like, <laughs> they're all like we know <laughs> it's really good <laughs> That's incredible, because it really hits, like, a lot of the Nick Cage beats, Yeah, but the biggest is just verbalizing that which did not need to be verbalized. It's a riddle. Yeah, and he ends up, he ends up figuring it out, and I don't know if we have time to read the whole thing, but it's really an awesome scene, and I wonder how much of it was kind of ad-libbed on his own as he kind of works through the clues, and he, this is, this is how he figures out that the a map has been transcribed on a resolution that 50 fen, 55 men signed the declaration of independence so resolution a resolute I'll, I'll just fucking read it wait a minute iron pen the iron does not describe the ink in the pen it describes what was penned it was iron it was firm it was mineral no 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 wait 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 it was it was firm. It was adamant. It was resolved. It was resolved. And that's how he gets to it. <laughs> so important important to note here, this is when Sean Bean suggests that they borrow the the declaration to investigate it, which Nick Cage is just completely aghast at and can't believe that he would ever suggest such an action. That's important for later. Just remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, all right. So then, then there's this whole this whole crazy thing where they escape the boat by blowing it up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nice, uh, fun action set piece. Yeah, it is. It is really fun with that huge, uh, that huge snowplow. Yeah, the bobcats. Good time. Yep. All right. So, so next we see. Uh, so then, and then Sean Bean and them leave them for dead, and they like. They kind of just, like, glaze over it, but Nick Cage is like, oh, well, there's a, a shipping or a fishing village nine miles east of here. And they're, like, in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. On foot. That is an interesting, that is an interesting, like, that's a whole movie, depending <laughs> yeah. on who the director is. Like, some artsy-ass director could make that into an entire movie. It's at least a short story. Yeah. And in Sicario 2, uh, Day yeah. of the Soldado, it's about 70 minutes. <laughs> All right, so that's 10. Number nine, so they get back to the States and they're trying to warn everyone that they can about the impending theft of the Declaration of Independence. No one wants Mm -hmm. to listen to them. They get to the the office of Dr. Abigail Chase, who is, uh, yeah, who is um, working at the National Archives. (laughs) Yeah, she's a very cute man, is what Riley says. Yes. So this is funny. It's funny because... It's actually just funny. He's trying to describe a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence without sounding like a total loon. Yeah, because he's been laughed out of the offices of several other departments. Yeah, so he says, we believe that there's an encryption on the back. And she says, like a code? He says, yes, ma'am. 
And she says, of what? A cartograph? (laughs) (laughs) A map of what? He goes, the location of hidden items of historic and intrinsic value. (laughs) A treasure map. That's where Riley says, that's where we lost the FBI. (laughs) And then she goes, you're treasure hunters, aren't you? And this is my favorite part. He says, more like treasure protectors. Which... (laughs) It's my, I love it because, well, you'll see how the movie ends, but it just reminds me of one of our other favorite, our fa- other favorite treasure hunters, uh, Nathan Drake, a treasure protector, yes. a guy who is really interested in the history and the, the historic value of these intrinsically valued items. I do have to give, I do have to give him some credit here, which is that this is sort of the mission statement of the movie. And he doesn't particularly swerve from it. Yes, he does end up quite wealthy by the end of the film, but I actually give him credit for sticking to his guns here. He is a treasure protector. It's true. And the the stuff does end up going to museum. And he's very, very preoccupied about protecting the historic items that they end up picking up along the way. It's, 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 It's fair. I just, it just made me laugh because it made me think of some other treasure protectors that we know of. Yes. Well, I also just like this whole scene because it it does a nice job of of like setting up the ridiculous tension between Nicolas Cage as like as historically obsessed weirdo and supposed love interest because movies movies seem kind of interested in making Nicolas Cage like Tom Cruise a love interest from time to time. And it's it's clear he's never been involved in an actual romantic relationship and so it's just strange. It's strange to watch him sort of pantomime what it's like to talk to a person you're interested in because he's he's really not good at it. He's terrible, and they they yeah. make some a few a few more attempts throughout the rest of this movie, and a, we'll talk about a few more of them. It's it's really yeah. good stuff. So that was number nine. So they they realize they're not going to get any help from anybody, and they, they dejectedly leave the National Archive. But it's like on their way out, they're just like looking at the Declaration of Independence and they're just casually looking at it through the glass. And Nick Cage says, 180 years of searching and I'm three feet away of all the ideas that became the United States. There's a line here that's at the heart of all the others. And this is amazing because he has the Declaration of Independence memorized. (laughs) Yeah. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations Pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. And Riley says, I don't understand a word you just said. And Nick Cage says, it means if there's something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. I'm going to steal it. And Riley says, what? And then Nick Cage says, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> it's, it's so perfect. It's, it is the apex of the film, in my opinion. The next, This and the next 20 minutes are the best part of the movie. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a loose justification, but I think I wrote... Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, basically he's saying, because this is true, what they're getting at in this is, you know, if something is wrong... You know, like you have you have to act eventually. But I've I actually looked up the the Declaration of Independence and the preceding line right before this one that he quotes reads, Prudence indeed, 
will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Which is a fancy way of saying we have suffered through this shit a very long time and we now see no other option. And so because we have the opportunity to act, we shall. <laughs> I think it could be argued that Nick, Nick Cage and Riley haven't necessarily exhausted all of their avenues <laughs> for stopping Ian from stealing the document. Also, his justification is that once Ian gets the document, he's just going to like throw it away or like shred it as soon as he gets the map, which based on Ian's previous and following behavior doesn't seem like the kind of thing he would do. So all of this to say, I think it's a pretty flimsy justification for stealing the Declaration of Independence, but it's a proper characterization of like a guy who just at the end of the day really does want to find this treasure and is willing to to break into the national archives to do so well i think it's i think you're right on all points the thing i really think is cool about this and you did a nice job when you were reciting this quote is that it really breaks down into two parts one is the 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 last part is just the line of the film which is i'm gonna steal the declaration of independence it's the most nicholas cage line in this movie it's one of the most ridiculous lines ever uttered in film history it's incredible but the whole first part is just like it's this oddly stirring reflection on the U.S. and you know America as an idea. There, there's plenty of well documented problems with you know just beating off to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Whatever, we'll, we'll ignore that for for a second and just say the idea of America is really cool, and this movie does a really nice job of reflecting on it. And I, I enjoy that. I remember watching this recently and thinking, wow, this is, this is cool. I, I'm, I'm kind of into this as I've gotten older. And as I've thought a little bit more about like the, the governing structure of our lives, it's cool that this movie kind of pauses to talk about what's so, what's so different about it. Well, it emphasizes kind of some of the ideals behind it, like yeah. here. And I think what's also cool is that there are a lot of just, there's a lot of trivia just sprinkled in throughout the movie, like yes. the invention mm-hmm. of daylight savings time and the silence do good yeah. letters and all this like these just like neat tidbits that I imagine probably inspired some kids to become actively interested in American yeah. history, which I really liked. And it's you're right, it's a component of the movie that I really enjoyed. So, but I also like that this is a fancy way of saying the exact <laughs> same quote that came out in a film two years before, which is. With great power comes great responsibility. Right. And would be reiterated in a movie that came out like six years later in a (laughs) very hastily put together (laughs) rephrasing so as not to totally copy the first Tobey Maguire movie. Can't do it. Can't do it. (laughs) They do it again in the Tom Holland one, but I don't even care because it's so good. No, it's charming. Everything in that movie is charming. Yeah. So that was number uh, eight. So, for a not, there are no bad quotes in this movie. So, and I thought it was fortuitous that at number eight, we're at the point in the movie where the heist happens, which mm-hmm. is just, which is, I think, should be talked about in the, in the annals of uh, heist movie, heist scenes. It has all mm-hmm. the components of it. It has the montage of the security in place, cut to yep. the montage of them making their preparations. 
So it has all yep. of that stuff. Has the guy in the chair. It has a guy in a chair, which that's probably a top 10 list someday. But yeah, we've talked about that. It should be. Let, let's do that. It's it's also an utterly ridiculous heist scene and makes no sense. And there are a lot of nitpicks in this movie if you want to be a dick about it. But there are especially yeah. a lot in the heist scene. So I figured for the not top three, we would just do some nitpicks for the heist section and and understand that the rest of the film is a goldmine when it comes to quotations. I'm into it. I would first invite our dear, dear friend, Mr. K. McLeod, to uh, waft some stank all over us. Thank you, Kevin. That was uh, just, what I, just what we needed to roll into this questionably put-together heist plan. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but the way that they get they bypass the security system is so there's a like a thumbprint scanner and then there's a keyboard mm-hmm. with an actual password in it so to get very fry golf a fly glove fargo levy so so a lot of my nitpicks center around th- this this area of the heist so to get the password what they do is nick cage sends her one of george washington's campaign buttons that she doesn't have mm-hmm. um but he douses the whole thing in invisible ink before doing so but it's it's urine it's pee mixed with lemon juice so so the expectation is that she's gonna pick up this pin that comes in a box it doesn't even need to be touched and just like rub all of her fingers over it and get her fingers covered yeah. in this invisible ink and then use the keyboard and then the keys that she touched will have the invisible ink on it and so he can see which one she touched later. So, first of all, this requires that she touch the pin with every one of her fingers if you assume <laughs> that she uses a keyboard like a normal human person. But she doesn't. They go to the point of, in the movie... And so they thought of this to their credit. She types in the password using just her index finger on her right hand like an idiot. But it's plausible then. <laughs> so okay. <laughs> wow, this is uh, this completely went over my head. I always thought this is this is just me being dumb. I always thought it was just a fingerprint situation that he was seeing those. But now that I think about it, it doesn't make sense because other people would have access to it and if they have a personalized code that doesn't work. So, wow, that just went over my head. I, it took me, well, to be clear, I watched this once when I was supposed to be podcasting, and then I watched it again today to take notes. So I've seen this movie twice yeah. in the last two weeks. Okay. So that's a tough one to get by. And then he lifts her fingerprint off of a champagne glass that he hands to her, and he's holding it, like, by the bottom so as not to get his yes. own finger. And she's not... Very creepily. She's like, okay. And then, like... First of all, he's lucky that she didn't already have a drink, and then he gets bailed out because another guy shows up with a drink, and then he takes the first one off her hands. So yeah. he lucks out there. Uh, when he starts talking to her, Riley in his ear goes, is that that hot girl? <laughs> Which implies that Riley was not aware that part of the plan was to talk to her and get a fingerprint from her. <laughs> Which that's is- an excellent point. Yeah, that's- which is alarming. That's more just a that's just a plot hole. That's just a that yeah. is just a downright plot hole. And then so then, so then he get, they get all the let they get all the letters, right? He reads Riley the the letters that are on the keyboard. 
And he does exactly what you said. A very golf. Fargo Levy. Fry. <laughs> and then Nick Cage, like like a supercomputer in his brain, goes, yeah. it's Valley Forge. He goes, what? I don't have that on my computer. And he goes, she typed in an L and an E twice. It's Valley Forge. And types it in and it's correct. <laughs> it's like, what encryption like anagram software are you using that like, doesn't take into account that it, numbers can, or letters could be used more than once? <laughs> like, yeah, that's so that's interesting. I was I was thinking your nitpick was going to be that Nicolas Cage concluded that, but I but I think you're right. That part isn't all that improbable. The fact that the the software didn't even possibly allow that it could be used multiple times is insane. I love. I actually like that. It's like man over machine, and it's like another. Yeah. They do this several times throughout the movie, where like his knowledge of American history is like yeah. the trait that means that they could do this over anyone else, and he knows Valley yeah. Forge. Like he does this in the in the boat when it explodes. Like he knows where to look for the smugglers' hold, and that's how they survive that. It's actually kind of cool. Yes, but it means that his encrypting software is crap. Yeah, it does also mean that this movie survives some of the uh, like technology issues that movies of this sort typically have. Like, I don't think it's impossible. I'd have to really think about it that you could set this movie in 2019 without too many issues. Like, I don't think that. So you, you and I, like just a couple of doofuses with Wikipedia would do okay on this adventure, but I still don't think we could fully handle it with just our smartphone. No, because he has to do a lot of things quickly, and he knows yeah. where to access that mm -hmm. stuff in his mind. Uh, whereas yeah. we wouldn't he knows know what he's looking for. That's yeah. that's the biggest thing. Whereas we wouldn't really know what to look for, exactly. So yeah. And the last thing is, it's part of his plan to buy a fake Declaration of Independence, and yeah, he probably could have done that earlier. But he ends up needing to buy two because someone catches him with the actual declaration also. And he has to pay with a credit card, which completely fucks up everything they were planning to do after yeah. this. And, my, and they were each $35. So my question is, if you're going to heist the Declaration of Independence and part of your plan is to purchase in cash a fake, you bring... 80 or less dollars with you like wouldn't you bring like 200 dollars in cash just to be safe it's a very interesting question i am i'm a bad i'm bad about cash but i'm aware that as an adult living in the world i should always have at least 100 bucks i don't to be clear but i should and importantly this movie is not 2019 this movie is 2004 so this is a like this is a gainfully employed, kind of straight down the fairway adult dude on a specific mission. He should have at least a hundred bucks and probably has two hundred bucks. I, I think. I think this guy, the average guy with all of his measurables, has two hundred bucks in his pocket. If he realizes mid heist that he has to buy a declaration, he should have a hundred dollars on him. The fact that it was yeah. part of the plan, he should have. He there's no excuse for not having more than a hundred dollars yeah. on hand in cash it's a great point it's absurd it's absurd i i don't like that they wrote him into a corner in this way because i don't think it's in character for him to be that stupid yeah something else should have happened yeah so like riley loses loses his connection to the internet or something and the, the security feed judders for a second and they see him i don't know yeah whatever okay so that was the not top three 
I don't know if you remember any other things about that heist scene that you want to nitpick. <laughs> no, no, those are the big ones. I, I there's some parts of it that I just love. Like I love that he uses the bulletproof glass of the declaration to like deflect gunfire. There's some there's some great stuff about it. Yeah. So I also think they did it. They did a pretty reasonable job of describing what I assume are, are at least some of the actual security features and their plan to get around it. Like I think they did a nice job with that. Yeah, it's the they did a, like it's a trope, but they did a nice job of like the heist yeah. movie. This is this this is the the security setup here. Yeah. So in the middle of the heist, he the, so when I said he he grabs the drink from uh from Doctor Chase, and he's with some other guy, and <laughs> this is a, a nitpick, but it's also such a great quote that it actually makes the list. So they're all together with drinks, and he says uh, a toast. Then yeah. And he says, to high treason. And they give him funny looks. And he says, well, that's what these men were committing when they signed the declaration. Had we lost the war, they would have been hanged, beheaded, drawn and quartered. Oh, and my personal favorite. Oh, and my personal favorite. (laughs) Had their entrails cut out and burned. Burned. (laughs) Laughs. So, (laughs) and we'll get, we'll, we'll do more, but I'll finish it first. He goes, so, and then he takes on a very serious demeanor. He says, here's to the men who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right. What they knew was right. He repeats it. And then and then he houses the champagne. He drinks it all in one go. So a couple of notes. First off, this is incredible. One of two quotes in the movie where he's showing shades of vintage, like lunatic Nick Cage, like in um, yeah. like in Face Off or the one with the bees. Like he like he, he he has like that crazy eyed look that he gets like oh, just for a second when he says had their entrails cut out and burned like it's only there for a moment but it's really really good stuff yeah and the second thing it's it's a nitpick is like he's telling her he's already told her that someone intends to steal the Declaration of Independence and now he's ominously toasting to people committing high treason and doing what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right. <laughs> and it takes her like another probably 45 minutes to kind of think like is that guy up to something <laughs> that is a good that is a good point it's a wildly self-serving quote <laughs> he's right now obviously he, he feels like he has to tip her off to to i think first of all i think he kind of wants her on his trail but i also think he wants to be clear that he's doing this for a particular reason because obviously she's going to find out soon enough that he's done it yeah for all of that it's just it's a it's such a strange delivery it didn't need to be done that way he didn't (laughs) have to mention torture like it just it's ridiculous i have to think that at least part of that was ad-libbed certainly certainly if it was scripted that way the screenwriter did not envision it being delivered that way and he just did it and then whoever directed this was like scene next like it's not worth it (laughs) yeah they're like i'm not gonna bother trying to coach this into something resembling normal human speech (laughs) i mean the character is kind of eccentric so it's it's fine i i'm a big fan yeah oh yeah so that was number seven number six so they they escape they escape the national archives there's like a kind of uh, a, a super overly dramatized chase scene wherein Ian Howe yeah. his cleverly disguised theft vehicle, it's a food truck is chasing Riley mm-hmm. and Chase and Cage in a not at all disguised red van 
and they they dr chase goes back and forth finally they get the fake declaration of independence the rest of them speed away and they're all freaking out riley and chase like you don't have the they don't have the they have the declaration of independence and gates is telling them we have it we have it and he's explaining that it that he gave he's like are you all right he he keeps are you all right yeah are are you all right he goes she will she will are you hungry she goes what yeah are you okay and then riley says something like i'm a little shaken up for being shot at but i'll be all right thanks for asking but uh that's actually it's a great quote but it's not the one i'm about to to relay this is when he's explaining his ingenious his ingenious act of misdirection he says she says this is the real one what did they get he says a souvenir i thought it'd be a good idea to have a duplicate turned out i was right I actually had to pay for the souvenir and the real one, so you owe me $35 plus tax. And then smirks. Which is such an absurd notion. <laughs> Even gloatingly, jokingly, to, to claim that this person who you've just kidnapped would owe you $35 because she didn't listen to you. About, plus tax. Plus tax. <laughs> wouldn't listen to you about you claiming that someone was going to steal the Declaration of Independence is ludicrous arrogance and i really really love the quote yeah so 100 it's perfect it's perfect for the moment it's exactly what the character would be thinking about at this moment yeah so we have to keep, now we have to move because we're only at number five and we've got a lot of movie to go so this is that's the best part of the movie after this you can tell that they kind of had to figure it out as they went but so we skip a big section of the movie here they go to his dad's house they find the map on the the Declaration of Independence. They need to go to Philadelphia because that's where the silence do good letters are. And they're all still wearing their like gala clothes, so they need to get new clothes. And this is a yes. scene where they're trying to do some leg- legwork explaining why this doctor who's just been kidnapped would start to kind of catch feels for Dr. Benjamin or Benjamin Franklin Gates and their shared love of American history. So I actually like the construction of the scene. They're in a urban outfitters, which is funny. And they're in adjacent changing rooms and they're just talking over the wall as they change. And she's talking about how he's got like this, this like reckless kind of confidence and will to him. And he says, what do you mean? She's you're certain the treasure is real despite what everyone else thinks. And Gates says, no, but I hope it's real. I mean, I've dreamt it's real ever since my grandfather told me about it. I feel like I'm so close. I can taste it. But I just want to know it's not something in my head or my heart. <laughs> and then she says, people don't really talk that way, you know. He says, I know, but they think they way. They think that way. It's an incredible quote. It's amazing. And she's like leaning over the partition and they like, and then they like cut down to just their feet underneath the door and her like left foot pops up like in Princess yeah. Diaries, except it's it doesn't get like caught in gum. Pop. No. It's like, it's like, a very obvious like flirty kind of like banter and like this is the inflection point where she goes from kidnapped history doctor to someone who like realizes this, this treasure is real and is with them till the end and wants to find it and is starting to understand and appreciate this guy that stole the declaration of independence it's cheesy as yeah. fuck but i actually really like it no i but i i also think it accurately portrays why they would get together like i think the movie was smart in realizing that it's not just like the smoldering sexuality of nicholas cage it's the fact that fundamentally (laughs) both of them are idealists like she's a she's much more she's much more beaten down by life but fundamentally they both think that way like what he the quote they're both the kind of people who think in those grand notions she's just smart enough 
and world weary enough to to beat it down but they both think that way and that's what connects them and it's really smart there's a couple of other small moments like that like when they're going over to his dad's house yeah Rai's like, should we tie her up with duct tape? And he's like, no, I think she'll behave. She's curious. Like, she wants to see what's going to happen. And then when they're in there and they're going to put the lemon juice on the back of the declaration, she's like, let me do it. (laughs) And it's such um, a that's a great moment. And she goes and she goes, uh, well, we'll start at the top right corner because if there is a map, there'll likely be an insignia in the top right corner. And like he he's looking straight at her while he says it and she's not looking at him, but he just goes, that's right. Like, he's impressed that she knows what he already knows about the document. And, like, yeah. it's clear that they're playing on the same level. It's mm-hmm. it's actually quite quite charmingly done. Yeah. But the flip-pop scene in the Urban Outfitters changing rooms is where it really comes together. Totally agreed. Good. That was a, that was a really good quote. I'm glad because I think that one could get lost in the shuffle. But I, I think you, you, you did a nice job calling it out. Thanks, Michael. All right, so then they figure out the clue um, where they need to go to the Independence Hall where the Liberty Bell was hung, and they follow the shadow based on the time shown on a $100 bill that they think they missed, but they didn't because Daylight Savings. Savings, yep. And then the hollow brick. The hollow brick. They find the glasses, and then there's there's another on-foot chase scene through Philadelphia in which Ian's henchmen are shockingly profligate with their gunfire they very indiscriminately firing bullets (laughs) in a heavily populated urban area insane and they're not using like a lot of movies will go the step of just putting silencers on pistols because it's like yeah and even though that would like a silenced pistol is still very loud but at least in in movie currency it's okay to do that and understand like okay no one heard they're yeah they don't have silenced weapons so it's like very much would be drawing attention but there's no police involvement in this scene whatsoever anyways ian gets the declaration nick is apprehended by the fbi or sorry benjamin franklin gates uh riley and dr chase escape and then riley and chase get in cahoots with ian and they organize a rendezvous on the uss intrepid in new york to basically do a handoff of uh the glasses for the declaration mm-hmm. so <laughs> and nick has to go onto the the boat by himself and he's on the phone with fbi agent sadusky played by the wolf harvey Keitel. and <laughs> it's just it's just this dumb quote it's another one of these things where he's giving his his uh his not nemesis but his opponent like very leading quotations that they choose to do nothing with. So <laughs> he says to Sadesky over the phone, you know, Agent Sadesky, something I've noticed about fishing, it never works out so well for the bait. <laughs> it just goes ignored. Like there's no lead up to the quote and there's no follow up. It's just this like dumb kind of pithy line. I think this is one of the ones that you were kind of alluding to where they just like crammed it in there for him to say something yeah. kind of clever. So what the kids call a non sequitur. Yeah, exactly. Comes from nowhere, goes nowhere. <laughs> and then a, a few minutes le- later, this is after one of Ian's henchmen has made contact with him. <laughs> Sadusky says, Gates, are you with me? And Benjamin Franklin Gates says, I'm sure not against you if that's what you're asking. <laughs> like, clearly telling him, like, I'm not against you. Just be aware that what I'm about to do is not you personally but i'm still about to fuck you (laughs) yeah and this is right before he jumps off the boat and 
is then pulled away by uh, these like diving experts with like one of those um, Call of Duty style self-propelled like torpedo. <laughs> it's actually a pretty cool visual. I it's really I really like that part. It's really cool, and they. I uh, have logistical questions about how far away you'd have to go to be out of the line of sight of this because they have air support. They do, but they thought of this, Mike. They say, do you have visual on gates? And the FBI agent in the helicopter says, sir, it's the Hudson. Nothing is visible. So it's like, haha, the Hudson's dirty. And it's also like, calm down. They could have gotten away. What doesn't make sense is the the same guy, Shaw, my favorite of Howe's henchmen, who is pretending to be a tourist of the camcorder on the boat and tells Nick Cage to jump overboard is the one that pulls him out of the water like two miles away down river. <laughs> he is? Yeah. It's wow, that's a that's what the kids call a pothole. It's the same fucking guy, but they're like, we only have Incredible. a couple henchmen. But it, I also like that earlier in the movie when they're at his house, the FBI agents are going through his degrees, like undergraduate at Yale, like masters at George Washington and... Then he's like, he's like master um, diving certification, and like Harvey Keitel makes some joke. He's like, oh, I wonder what he wanted to be when he grew up. But it's also like a nice little like, oh, like this is feasible. Like he's a diving expert. Like yeah. he he could have done this. I just thought that was a, a that's this this one gets in here because it's pretty light in this part of the movie, and also because it's just funny. Jeff feel all right. I think we'll, I'll wait to do honorable mentions because. Uh, we're we're going chronologically here, and the honorable yeah the are the chronology piece is tough yeah yeah so I'll just keep okay. going number three so uh, they go through a few more clues basically they figure out that the the last place is at uh, the intersection of Wall Street and Broadway in Trinity Church here at the here wall. at the wall spelled with two e's we'll dig more into that in an honorable mention because it's a fun quote but. So then they go in, they go into the, they break into this tomb, <laughs> they go down into this stair, this large, like, winding downward staircase yeah. with a seemingly bottomless pit, um, and then, not surprisingly, the staircase fails, and there's a cool kind of action sequence, very Indiana Jonesy with a lot of rope swinging and Extremely Indiana Jonesy. And there's a bit where there's, Gates and Chase are stuck on, like, a, like, a, a slanted staircase, and she's yeah. falling off, and he grabs her, and then the declaration is about to fall off, and they like lock eyes, and he goes, "Do you trust me?" And she says, "Yes." So he drops her. She lands on a platform below. He rolls over to grab the Declaration of Independence. Once they get their footing again, he says to her, he grabs her. He says, "I'm sorry, I dropped you. I had to save the Declaration." And she says, "No, don't be. I would have done exactly the same thing to you." And then he has this incredulous look on his face. He goes, really? <laughs> and then Riley says, I would have dropped you both, freaks. So <laughs> it plays for laughs. It's funny. My question to you is this, Mike. Let's say yeah. we're in this exact scenario. You're, uh, you're, be you're Dr. Uh, Benjamin Franklin Gates. I'm Dr. Abigail yeah. Chase. I'm about to fall off. You're hanging on to me. And the Declaration yeah. of Independence is a few feet away, about to fall. It's like in Batman when he's got Robin and um, what's, and he has to save them both. It's uh, whatever. It, it's a really tough choice. What would you have done in that scenario? But I have my brain. Yeah. I, fuck the Declaration. I like it, at, 
to me, see, I don't have the same I don't have the same romantic attachment to the document itself. Because regardless of what happens to the physical document, the thing happened and it's still enforced. So I'm saving my my love interest. You. I I would say even if it was Shaw, the dickhead henchman, I still probably save his life. Like it's yeah. just a piece of paper. Like, you know, yeah. It's that's what kind of yeah, I know that I like it's the movies. The movies' position on whether it's just a piece of paper is kind of ambiguous because it really because it really harps on what the meaning is, but it does also seem to imply that the actual like the physical item itself carries some totemic power. So, not entirely clear where the movie lands. I know where I land though. I agree with you 100%. It's clear later in the movie when he gives the declaration back to Sadesky and he's like you just gave me your best bargaining chip. And he says, the Declaration of Independence is not a bargaining chip. Not to me anyways. So he does have a very special appreciation for it. But, I mean, he got lucky. Like, he really could have easily killed Dr. Abigail Chase. Yeah. Who, who, in addition to being his love interest and and a very, you know, intelligent historian and blah, 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 human being. Yeah. Kind of, end of the day, human being. Yeah, human being. So, yeah, tough, I mean, not a tough look, but not something I would have done. Revealing uh, look. Revealing look. All right. Yeah. So they get to the bottom. They find a, what appears to be a dead end, and they're all still kind of trying to figure out what to do. And Riley's like, this is it? This is the end of the, end of the line? And Cage says, yes, Riley, there's nothing more. No, there are no more clues. That's it, okay? It's over. End of the road. The treasure is gone. Moved. Take it somewhere else. And then Ian says, you're not playing games with me, are you, Ben? You know where the treasure is. <laughs> Gates, it's this long pause, and he just goes, no. <laughs> and later on, it is clear that he's, like, faking this and yanking Ian's chain. But we've already established that Gates doesn't know how to bluff. And so yeah. I actually think it's a, I actually think it's an impressive piece of acting on Cage's part that his outburst at Riley feels entirely canned and ungenuine. And then his like exaggerated pause when he tells him he doesn't know where the treasure is, is pretty obviously picked up on by a viewer. It's not super subtle, but it's, it's a, it's a nice piece of acting upon rewatch. No, I think, I think you're right because there's layers. It's it, you kind of have to believe the fabrication, but also see the seams. Like you kind of have to know it's a fabrication. I, 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 I quite agree. I think it's it's weirdly some of the better acting that he does in this movie because it's very meta, which I think is in his wheelhouse. Yeah. It, it's like it's like if you were Nicolas Cage acting as John Travolta acting as Nicolas Cage, for example. I can't imagine a scenario where an actor would have to do that, but yeah. Yeah, it would be very strange be really weird and it's also just some nice gamesmanship like john voight comes up with a fake clue and sends him off it's another example of like where you really should know your history because he sends him off to look for the the uh the tower where they did the one of my land two of by sea and they tell them that one lantern is the clue when we all know that the british came by sea so two lanterns where if ian had been a little bit more up on his history he would have seen through their ruse yeah good stuff there so anyways they find the hidden room. There's actually two two fake dead ends. They once they yeah. get through the second dead end, they find the treasure room. It's glorious. They find the staircase. They have their negotiation with Sadusky. 
everyone goes home happy. And then I picked this sequel just because it's just incredible, just overt sequel setup. Mm-hmm. They're in front of Nick Cage's new awesome house, and Riley is complaining about how much money they got. And he says, okay, Riley, I tell you what. Next time we find a treasure that redefines history for all mankind, you can decide the finder's fee. (laughs) Which obviously directly sets up National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. And probably at that point, they're thinking National Treasures 1 through however many they can get out of this. I think that they probably got a little bit tired of hanging out with Nicolas Cage after the (laughs) second one. But I think they were setting themselves up for a lot more of these. Yeah. Which I'm still holding out hope for National Treasure 3. I think given the fact that we're discussing this movie so fondly, I think there's a market for it. But Yeah, I so here's here's my, my batting order though. I will I would love National Treasure 3, but I need the Brazilian job. Yeah. That was supposed to happen so long ago. I'm still i I'm still kind of holding out hope for that movie to exist. It could happen. We're in the... This is the time and age for it, so who knows? I know. Oh, it'll be so great. Oh, it'll be so good. Yeah. So, some honorable mentions. I like that in this same scene, Riley is complaining about getting... They offer you 10%. We ended up taking 1%. He's like, so I walk home with half percent. And earlier, they float They float the figure of $10 billion as the rough estimated value of the treasure, a half yeah. a percent of $10 billion is $50 million. So, yes. Benjamin, Again, in 2004. Yeah. So, Benjamin Franklin Gates and Riley each walked away with $50 million from this treasure find, which is stunning. Yep. A staggering amount of money. It doesn't allow him to drive his Ferrari any more, any more confidently than any amount of money, really. No. So, there's that. When he's uh, negotiating with Sadowski at the end of the movie, he he says, I'd really love not to go to prison. I can't even begin to describe how much I'd love not to go to prison. And he says, someone's got to go to prison, Ben. He says, well, if you've got a helicopter, I think I can help with that. So they arrest, oh. they arrest how? At the fake Old North Church. Yeah. So he says, we've got you on kidnapping, attempted murder, and trespassing on government property. Which I would just like to point out, kidnapping... Nick Cage and Riley kidnap Dr. Chase when they steal the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Attempted murder, they don't... This this is a stretch, but earlier in the movie, he throws a lit flare at Shaw in a boat that's completely filled with gunpowder. He's going to find out if Shaw can catch, right? Yeah, right. And gets lucky that Ian catches it. Yeah. And then trespassing, he stole the Declaration of Independence. So, like, yeah, <laughs> all, grand the things, theft. all the things that they have Ian Howe on, like, they very much have on Benjamin Franklin Gates. It's also worth noting that this is, again, 2004. This is the heart of the Patriot Act era. Yeah. I think basically anything could be painted as terrorism. And as we know, the moment we talk terrorism, you're talking rendition, you're talking CIA black sites. So... Lots of uh, enhanced interrogation. So lots of things could happen like the moment you attach that moniker. And I would tend to think that stealing one of the most recognizable symbols of, you know, America w- could could rise to the level of terrorism. Absolutely. Yeah. Great point. Definitely don't want to go to prison. Yeah. I can't even stress it enough. One of my favorite quotes that's made me laugh out loud. So I forgot to mention that Shaw, our favorite henchman that's come up a number of times, is the 
the fodder that gets thrown to the bottom of the large pit when the fail when the stairs fail. Yeah, underneath Trinity Church. So he dies. Sure and does. Right when they get to the bottom of the the thing, and Ian leaves them to die. Basically, Riley's complaining about how they're likely going to die. Nick Cage says nobody's going to die. <laughs> There's another way out. Callously ignoring that Shaw just fell to his almost certain death. Like, yeah, he's dead. Like, really callous comment from yeah. from Ben Gates on this one. Yeah, maybe nobody else has to die. Yeah, no one, no one else going forward. Yeah, and there's when they're going down into the into the pit. There's a really bad, <laughs> a bad line where they're all. He's like kind of standing aside and letting everyone else walk ahead of him. And as Doctor Chase walks in front of him, he just grabs her by the arm and goes, "Come yes. here!" and spins her around and kisses her. <laughs> it's just incredible, just wild stuff. And then the. The other henchman that's not Shaw, the one that lives, goes in a like a weird like I don't know why he's Scottish. She goes, "How come that never happens to me?" <laughs> it's incredible. That's one of the most unnecessary and ridiculous lines in movie history. That whole sequence is just dumb. But yes, the "How come that never happens to me?" is like, <laughs> what is your name? Like, I, is it Fargus? Like, I don't know what your character's name is or what you do in this movie. I think his name was Mac Duff. Yeah, probably. Good one. So, that that's my list. I took an entire hour to do that, so hopefully you don't have too many other quotes that you'd like to insert here. But that is the, no. that's, that's the telling of National Treasure by uh, Benjamin Franklin Gates quotes performed by Nick, Nick, Sir Nicholas Cage incredible uh yeah i have no quotes to add you hit you hit them all uh, i would also like to say i think we skipped the recap because it's chronological and these are super yeah. long so if you survived an hour with us then bravo to you watch the movie again and uh i think that's that's the scoop that was incredible like, incredible and i want to find other creative ways of doing this because i just love i love the the deep dive on the one movie I think there's more there's more content to be mined. In fact, probably a limitless amount if we wanted to do this for yeah. other movies we love. So we'll see. Thank you for your patience. That was a lot of national treasure. Mm-hmm. Before we go, I would say uh, thanks to Kevin again for queuing up our not top three music. Stanky today as it is every day. Yeah. I would also effortless. like to say thank On yeah, the outside, not even- probably not effortless to him. I-, I assume he's put a lot of hours towards his craft, but it seems effortless to us. Yeah. For sure. Uh, another person who spends a lot of time on her craft is Erin, and our uh, our artwork is fantastic, as you know, if you've seen it. Don't forget, if you wanted to see more of Erin's artistic stylings, they're all readily available on Instagram at Saint Design. Yeah, and I would uh, I would similarly thank our social media director, Caroline Labranti, and I would direct you towards her new photography Instagram that is oh. called something... I don't know. Search Caroline Labranti photography on the old Instagram. She's uh, she's doing some cool stuff there. Primarily pictures of my lovely nephew, Sal, uh, mm. so far. But there's other good content to come, I'm sure. And I kn- you should check out her work for us uh, on our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Instagram. All those things are top 10 KM with the 10 spelled out T-E-N. If you have any feedback, you want to, you know, 
tell us National Treasure sucks and you're not going to listen to this episode, well, whatever. Fuck off. Uh, but she sent us an email at top10km at gmail.com. Finally, I know you're listening to this on some sort of podcast app, but if you need another one, check us out on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, pretty much, or the Apple Podcast app, importantly, or pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So that is the sum total of things I would say. And I think we have hit it all, of all the things that needed to be said. Big thank you to you, Michael. That was a good time. And a big thank you to you, and of course, to the incomparable Sir Nicholas Cage. Thank you, Nick Cage. Yeah. All right. See you, buddy. Till next week. Peace.